0: net, or call Mike at 513-753-9400. Now your host, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer, Mike Roth.
1: Thanks, Scott. This is Mike Roth, and I'm here today with Dobby Pisakis from The Divine Group. She is an international speaker, author, vice president of business development for The Divine Group. She's uh, worked for them for over a decade in, in the human capital and development marketplaces. Uh, Darby's become a trusted advisor to hundreds of consultants worldwide who rely on her knowledge in the areas of recruitment, development, alignment, employee engagement to increase profit and decrease the expenses. Today's focus is going to be on hiring winners. Before we get started, Darby, and again, thanks for joining us. I wanted to remind everyone of a couple of things that are coming up. You still have a little bit of time to uh, make your reservations for the Sandler 2013 Client Summit in Orlando. That's going to be February 14th and 15th, and the theme is going to be No Guts, No Gain. We're going to have probably 650 clients. There will be two tracks, one for sales and one for sales management. There will be some uh, joint sessions. There will be plenty of time for networking. And we've recently announced that Brian Frank, the head of global sales uh, for LinkedIn, will be the keynote speaker for the Thursday session. Okay, that's Client Summit. Next thing, we do have a one-day cold call camp coming up here in January, on January 30th. If you're interested in that, make sure you call in and speak to to me or Carmen on 753-9400. And next week on the show. On Thursday, we're going to have Richard Brown of Emerge IT. We're going to be talking about voice over IP solutions. And on Friday, a week from today, we're going to have Janelle Ross, who is the CEO of Ross Motor Company. She is also a Mercedes dealer and a General Motors dealer. I got the feeling I'm leaving something out, but that's okay. We'll, we'll move forward. Darby, why don't you tell the folks who are listening something about your experience and background that brought you to the Divine Group.
2: Okay. Mike, I spent... Pretty much from the time I graduated from college up until really you could count today in sales. And um, I have sold everything from IT products to real estate to people. And by that, I mean recruiting. Mm -hmm. And I started to work in the Sandler business doing the training and development for sales and sales management, executive leadership. And somewhere in that process, I became an assessment nerd. And I just absolutely loved looking at the data and um, after a while, I felt like I could read the tea leaves and really understand somebody objectively rather than meeting them um, and then falling in love with them as a person and overlooking the qualities that were really limiting their success. So that's how I got to, to the divine group as far as the assessment business goes.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and how long have you been with the uh, divine group?
2: I'm in my eighth year there.
1: Enjoying every minute from a smile on your face.
2: Yes, I do. Yes, I do. And most of what I do is I, I don't work with the end client as much anymore. I'm working with the business advisors and the um, uh, the different consultants, whether it be um, human resources or sales training and development. Sometimes there are people that are even in the academic market. Those would be different professors and things that are teaching people how to um, how to run a human resource department folks that are getting their MBA management training, that type of thing.
1: Okay. And there are many folks who listening to the show who are not Sandler clients mm-hmm. and have never seen a divine profile or instrument. Why don't you describe a little bit about the original basis of the profiles?
2: The, the divine inventory is, what it does is it scores a person, again, objectively, on 33 core human behaviors. Things like vitality, goal orientation, initiative, intensity, these types of things that are core to any human being. And then, based on the different profile or job that that person is in, we then build competencies that describe what that person needs to do in their job to be successful. So, for example, someone who is a salesperson, they may have competencies that would be um, sales prospecting, questioning, qualifying, control, and close whereas someone who is in management may have competencies that are um, holding people accountable, strategic planning, um, leadership, those types of competencies. So we're inventorying the same 33 core human behaviors on each person that takes the assessment, but then we, we are taking those, um, those behaviors and putting them together differently. I, I like to equate it like going to the grocery store. You go to the grocery store, you get 33 items. And you can make soup. You can make pancakes. You know, you can make um, a number of different things from those thirty-three ingredients. That's what we're doing.
1: Okay. And when you score someone in the divine world, uh, you're scoring them against a job title. Yes. Yeah. And tell the folks how long Vine has been doing this.
2: Oh, it's been. We've been doing it for over forty years. So we have not just this particular assessment that you and I are talking about, but we also have critical thinking assessments. We have assessments that are for the the um, hourly population. So,
1: so critical thinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, does that mean IQ?
2: Not exactly. What the critical thinking inventory measures is somebody's um, mental horsepower, their ability to understand complex ideas and be able to internalize them and make decisions on based on those data points.
1: So that's important information for a prospective employer to have.
2: Yes, especially if they're in a you know, a world where complexity comes at them every day. If they're in a world where they're not dealing with complex issues, then it wouldn't be as important.
1: Mhm. Mm-hmm. And roughly how deep is the divine inventory database? How many people uh, have taken it over the uh, 40 years that it's been around?
2: Oh, my gosh. I think you're stumping me with that question. But we have thousands and thousands. I would say 700,000.
1: That's a, that's an amazingly high number, Darby. Mm-hmm. So when an individual takes a vine inventory today, they're compared to how many of those 700,000?
2: They're compared to 10,000 random records. Now, that might sound like, well, why would you do something random in there? It goes into the database, and it picks out 10,000 records. And really, if you did it over and over again, picking out 10,000 more random records, you wouldn't get very much variation at all in the results.
1: So the sample is is extremely large, and the database is is really deep.
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, at the Divine Group, they don't throw anything away when it comes to data. They save everything.
1: Okay, and in the since I'm in the sales development world, business development world, approximately how many people have, do you think may have taken the divine inventory in the uh, sales world?
2: You know, I was asked that question a couple of months ago, and I went back through and, and added up how many people I saw who had taken the inventory in the past month and then tried to multiply that out. And, you know, Mike, I don't remember that question, but what I will tell you is, we have a huge um, percentage of salespeople and sales management in our population. That seems to be one of the areas that um, that we do a tremendous amount of work in. Probably part of that is that, you know, that's where I came from. And so the folks that I am supporting um, tend to be very well versed in that area. So that's the business we go after.
1: Okay, so when we look at salespeople, I guess in the divine world, how many different types of salespeople do you look at? Because there are different sales jobs. There's an inside sales. There's outside sales.
2: Right. There's telesales. There's retail sales. There are many different types of sales. So uh, we just named a few. But let's say that we we go and we and look at just the outside salespeople. We've developed a, a quadrant model for that so that we have um, a shorter sales cycle, a longer sales cycle you know, a longer, more complex sales cycle, um, a more account sales cycle, a commodity sales cycle. And then in addition to that, we also do custom work on that. So, in fact, I was just on the phone this morning with an executive that runs a division where he has almost 50 sales reps. And and he said, you know, our culture here is a little bit different and we cater to a blue collar buying um, population. And so we're not, you know, the out of the box sales Organization. How can we customize this? So we talked about benchmarking and customizing it. And I would say a good, maybe twelve to fifteen percent of the clients that we have will customize their um, their their sales profile based on their population.
1: Mhm. So the profiling is customized, but the questions are always the same.
2: The thirty-three core behaviors are always the same. Yes.
1: One of the things that I like about the Divine instrument is. It's almost impossible to lie to it mm-hmm. because of the binary force choice methodology that's used
2: in most of the profile very true very true so in there are two basic types of testing there's a normative test and that's a test I think you know we've all taken where we have some sort of statement. And it could say something like, I'm, I'm very good at details. It wouldn't say it quite like that, but it would give you some sort of positive statement. And you would react to that in one of five ways. You would say, I, I strongly agree. I somewhat agree. I neither agree nor disagree. Uh, all down to I strongly disagree. So that's a normative test. And to your point, it's very easy for somebody to say, yes, I'm good at everything. It's also easy for somebody who has a high sense of humility to maybe not score themselves as high as a test would would score them. So we find the binary force choice very, very accurate, and especially accurate when it comes to salespeople and executives. And I, I think, or I should say more accurate, and I think the reason behind that is salespeople and executives are very well trained. You know, we read a lot, and we do a lot of self-improvement, and so when it comes to our idea of, of ourselves or our sense of humility, we tend to think a lot of ourselves. So the normative test sometimes can be a little skewed with the lack of humility, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm.
1: mm-hmm. And uh, I especially like the fact that people can't back up and see what they answered oh, yeah. six, six or ten questions ago.
2: Yeah.
1: And, and the profile's got about 200 questions yeah. on it. So it's, it's long enough and extensive enough so that the real truth falls out.
2: It's very hard to keep track. That is very true.
1: Good. So, Darby, we're going to take a uh, a short break. And Darby has agreed to uh, answer questions from the audience. Uh, our call-in number is, as usual, 646-595-4916. We're going to take a uh, short commercial break and hear some, uh, some Sandler messages. Company owners and sales managers. Are you sick and tired of hiring a salesperson you think is Tom Cruise only to get Pee Wee Herman on the first day of the job? Call me, Mike Roth, 513 646 6523 to stop this from happening to you again. This is Mike Roth, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer. If you're a salesperson or a company owner, my message is critical for you. Today, I want to talk to you about the real secret of getting out of debt earn more money. Most salespeople and owners want to sell more at a higher price with better margins, but don't know how. I've helped hundreds of people and companies grow over 30% per year by making an investment in themselves. Albert Einstein said, Insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. I teach my clients new and different strategies, tactics, and behaviors that get dramatic results. I'm not for everyone. I'm tough, expensive, abrasive, and not politically correct. But if you want results, we need to talk. Call me at 513-646-6523. Give me your toughest questions. Then, if you qualify, I'll invite you in for a free meeting. 513-646-6523. This is Mike Roth, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer. Many salespeople tell us business was really easy. They likened it to gathering fruit in an orchard full of ripe trees. They gathered the low-hanging fruit. They had to get baskets to pick up the fruit that was already fallen. They never had to climb a tree. They worked this way for 10 or 15 years. Given the strong economy, this was no problem. What are you hearing now? The economy has slowed down. Salespeople are competing on price. There's still business now, but salespeople have to work harder. The fruit has not fallen from the tree, and there's no low-hanging fruit. The fruit is there, but it's higher up in the tree. The problem is, their salespeople have forgotten how to climb. Do your salespeople know how to climb? If you or your team needs to learn how to climb through and up out of tough economic times, call me, Mike Roth, at 513-646-6523, or check our website at rothconsulting.net. This is Mike Roth. I'm back with uh, Darby Fisakis, and uh, we have a a caller with a, uh, a question, I think, about hiring. Are you there, caller?
3: Yeah. Yeah, hi there. Yeah. Uh and your so name is? uh that uh, I'm I'm Doug. Hi Doug. And
4: yeah, hey, hi.
3: Hey, and hi Darby. Um hi, you know hi, hi Darby. Um yeah, I'm I'm wondering how to identify the best uh the best candidates for, for sales positions. That's always seems to be a trouble.
2: Okay, so um identifying when you say identifying, you mean actually hiring this person and getting them productive?
3: Yes. Yeah. Well, <laughs> selecting even to begin with. I mean, even finding the right person is somewhat. But you know, let's pretend I've found, I've I've got somebody who I suspect might be good.
2: Okay.
1: You have people sent to you by recruiters, Doug?
3: Uh, occasionally. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And and you yeah. and they have a price tag on their head of ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars, whether or not they're the right person.
3: Um yeah, yeah, they they say they're the right person, but you know, it's and they always they always claim to be the right person, but you know, that's really not the case.
2: Okay, so the first thing that I would say is is um you want to back up and make sure that that you have completely um identified what you're looking for. Some companies have great job descriptions. Others really don't have anything written down. So at the very least, if you had the top three primary functions of this person and, and three or four secondary functions, that's a good start so that you know clearly what you're looking for. Um, then after you know what you're looking for and the person comes to you, I would suggest some sort of objective process. Obviously, you know, I'm skewed to, to recommend assessments. Some folks will have um, a series of knockout questions. Obviously, if you have a business where they're driving around delivering things, such as a CentOS-type salesperson, do you have a driver's license would be a great knockout question. So after you've identified um, what you're looking for and you've done some sort of objective process and done your knockout questions, then the part where a lot of companies fall down is when it is, not having a structured hiring process. So, what kind of process do you have in place right now regarding um, hiring?
3: Um, you know, that's 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 a good question. It's just structure. It's it's we 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 get people that send uh, recruiters, or sometimes if we attempt to find people on our own. We get people that it, uh have come to us through some means for another, and uh you know we uh we interview them, we ask' them a bunch of questions in order to attempt to uh, decipher whether or not they're uh, gonna be the best or not, and then um and then we hire' them. i'm like, i'm sh- not sure what to tell you other than that i, I mean,
1: what industry are you in Doug? Could you Just speak up
3: it's hard oh to- sure. Sure, I'm in the uh, HVAC industry.
2: Okay. So, um your sales cycle then would be a shorter sales cycle, correct? Um
3: some some of them are should be uh one call, one day close very short. Some of them are uh larger commercial jobs, so those might be a a longer sales cycle.
2: Okay. All right. So, kind of to to back up, let's say that you have do you have anything in in process? As um, that provides you objective data on the person that is um, coming through your door.
3: What do you, What do you mean objective data?
2: Oh yeah, some sort of assessment, evaluation, something that um, that you can look at and review outside of their resume. Um, no, not typically. Okay. Well, so again, to kind of back up through the process. First step in the process, obviously, is to make sure you're fishing in the right pond. So let's say that the folks come pre-qualified from a recruiter. That would be a good thing. Um, make, making sure that you have a job description that tells you exactly what you are looking for. And then having an assessment process. Again, I you know, shameless self-promotion here, but I obviously believe in it 100 percent, where you have your criteria nailed down to these are the top four or five things that we must have in a person that we hire and these are the you know half a dozen things that are are important but they're not critical Um, in the 10 plus years that I've been working with salespeople, both in and out of the assessment business I have yet to see a company um, or a salesperson that is that is highly successful that does not have a great degree of ambition and drive and one that cannot control and close a sales a sale and what ends up happening is those are very difficult things to interview for once the person is in front of you And many times the one of the biggest hiring mistakes that we see especially when it relates to salespeople is that the salesperson comes in and you know you've heard this before the best sale that they make and maybe the only sale they ever make is the one where they got the job they're very personable they're organized, they're on time, you know, they, they don't offend anybody during the sales uh, sales uh, interview, maybe even they've met with HR. HR tends to like people who are not real um, go-getters in sales, why? Well, let's face it, when you have a salesperson who can control a sale, the sales process, they tend to be a little bit more aggressive or assertive. They tend to be okay with conflict and asking, you know, the tough questions. And that's just not a real popular person. So the other part that I would say to that is make sure that the people who are interviewing um, know that those types of attributes are attributes that you want in a salesperson. Not way over the top assertive, not way over the top in conflict, but that they can deal with conflict. Because out there in the heat of battle, there's a lot of stalls and objections. There's a lot of rejection. And that person has to be able to get up and, um, and, and you know, push to the next thing. Then the last thing that I'll say as far as hiring a, a good salesperson. So this is, you know, all of what happens in the interview. Have a good behaviorally-based interview process where you will ask historic questions. And what I mean by that is tell me of a time when, you know, these types of things happened. And describe things that will happen to them when they are working for you, not What would you do in this situation where they get to make up something? You know, they get to write the best fiction in the world of of how they're, you know, a superhuman salesperson. Find out what they have done in the the past. Um, And then the final thing is, and and this is probably the area where even if all those other things are in place, companies fall down on this part, and that is having a structured onboarding process. At least 90 days, I would recommend 180 days, where – you, you know what is that person for, the first, for each 30-day increment. Here's what you need to learn. Here's what you need to do. Here are the results that you are responsible for, and here's who's keeping you accountable. Does that help?
3: It, it does.
1: Darby, maybe you can go over again the two or three key characteristics that a, a great salesperson in heating and air conditioning should have. The first one is?
2: Ambition and drive.
1: Second one is?
2: Somebody who can control the sales process.
1: And the third one would be?
2: Sales prospecting.
1: And what would some of the killers be that might come back in a divine inventory that would say, we definitely want to ignore the positives and act on the negatives and pass on this person?
2: Yes. There are some folks that have, uh, Do you, if these people go out to residents, and I think that's what you were alluding to, some of them call on resident and some are, are commercial. So let's say they go into the resident and they have a high need for approval. And somebody treats them really well and, you know, maybe feeds them a sandwich and tells them how great they are and how wonderful it was that they were on time, but they're not buying from them. A person with high need for approval will leave feeling very good because they were validated as a person, but they're not bringing home a sale. Mm -hmm. So that would be one. Um, The other I would say is sometimes folks tend to be very emotionally involved in the sale, meaning that they are not listening to what what the prospect or client is telling them. And they're all in their head. They're thinking things like, boy, if I don't make this sale, you know, my boss is going to be so mad or, you know, I'm not going to be able to make my mortgage payment or, oh, I'm up against XYZ competitor. I always lose to that competitor. So somebody who can be a little more objective on the sales call emotionally, that's another thing that that also helps. And um, I would also say someone who is very low in reading the situation, and what that means is that. They go in on autopilot, Mike. They go in thinking, here's what I always do when I go in on a sales call, and they're not listening to Mr. or Mrs. Buyer or Seller telling them, um, you know, here are what their specific problems are. So that's on a sales call. Overall, a couple other things that can really kill, you know, a good salesperson would be someone in, in our terms who is low and takes action, which means that. Um, they may have the best goals in the whole world and the best intentions in the whole world, but when it comes to their commitment or, or their just-do-it quotient, they just don't do it. So if that's very low. Pull the trigger. Exactly. And and the last one that I'll, I'll mention, and maybe this one this hits really home for me, I don't really like working with people who make excuses. And so if someone goes out there on a sales call and you know, you're debriefing him, Mike, or Doug is debriefing him and saying, "Hey, you know, what happened on the sales call?" And Doug, your salesperson, says, "Well, the the prospect was a jerk, boy, and, and jerk and stupid," and you know, they're not taking any responsibility for what they may have done wrong on the sales call they are completely throwing their responsibility on, on, you know, or maybe it's, you know, those telemarketers, they they set the worst appointments. They didn't qualify this person at all.
1: Yeah, I think they've heard that this morning.
2: Yeah, yeah. So uh, those are some of the things that you would look at that would torpedo a person's success. So So when you're looking at assessment results, you're not only looking at, What factors will make somebody successful? You're also looking at, to your point, Mike, what factors are going to take away or torpedo that success?
1: Yeah, the other torpedo factor is a pure behavior in the divine inventory that I found. It's called vitality, Mm -hmm. energy to do the job. Uh, The profile scores people on a 10-step scale from 0 to 9. Anyone on step 0, definite pass. And step 1, Definite pass.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Not even worth going much further because uh, we we just had a, an owner of a company complain about a a salesperson he had hired, and he said she doesn't show up at work every day. Without the energy, the drive and ambition to to do that, mm-hmm. you're not gonna succeed. I don't care how easy the sales job is.
2: That's very true.
1: Doug, but, have we have we answered your question?
3: Oh yes, thank you. Thanks.
1: Good Doug, good thanks for calling in. Appreciate
3: it. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh again, the call in number is uh six four six five nine five four nine one six. Uh Darby, we're gonna take a uh commercial break here and we're going to uh listen to uh Rule number 23, if I can find it.
2: Oh, number 23. Love that one. You
1: love number 23? Here's number 23.
4: This is Pete Brown with Sandler Training, and I'm here to speak with you about rule number 23. The way to get rid of a bomb is diffuse it before it blows up. Have you or your organization ever lost a sale because of a problem you could have dealt with earlier in the sales process? Sadly, today, millions of salespeople and sales organizations are sitting on bombs, and they don't have to. Why deal with that anxiety? If you have a problem or a situation potentially with one of your services or one of your offerings, you need to bring that up before the prospect does in your sales process. Let's think of an example local delivery. If I knew that I was talking to a prospect that I thought local delivery would be a need they would have, and I didn't offer it, how would I address that, and more importantly, when would I want to? After we'd consummated the sale, only to find out that we couldn't deliver on time? Of course not. That's anxiety. Let's take the stress out and address that earlier. How about an example of that? If we were in role play. Bill. Local service is something that very often in this market is asked for, and we don't provide it. Is that going to be a problem? Bill would come back most likely and say, Pete, it is, and I would say, makes sense. So, Bill, should we talk about that now to make sure that if that is going to be an issue, we deal with it because it might not be a fit? Pete, we should. Bill, get started simple role play but the example is let's get that out on, and diffuse it early because by doing anything other than that the truth is we are not being professional and certainly within Sandler's world we're not being buyer-centric because think of the benefits first and foremost you're more relaxed that 800 pound gorilla is off your chest secondly you can determine along with that prospect very early if you're going to continue to invest time in the selling process Because if you need local service and they don't have it, as that example alluded, you're done. No pain, no sale. And then finally, third, whether you realize it or not, that prospect will look at you very differently than the other salespeople or sales leaders that they encounter. Because you were willing to be professional and defuse that bomb early. Why don't we defuse the bomb? Well, sales leaders, you need to look in the mirror as you coach your teams and recognize there's two fears going on. If that is not happening, the fear of losing a sale or the fear of dealing with the rejection, which is a comfort zone issue. As leaders, you need to help your organizations deal with both of these fears. But think about it. How can you go about changing this behavior when historically it's not been practiced? So my suggestion would be think of three potential bombs that you would need to defuse in the process. It could be creditworthiness. It could be financing. It could be local service. It could be delivery. It could be pricing. And then develop three questions around each of those bombs to be able to address early in your sales process with the prospect. And then ask those questions early. You can't lose what you don't have. Remember Rule 23. The way to get rid of a bomb is to defuse it before it blows up. This is Pete Brown with Sandler Training. Good selling.
1: Mike Roth. I'm back with uh, Darby Fazakas from uh, the Divine Group. Uh, Darby, uh, aside from salespeople, what is the, uh, one of the other most common uh, job categories that Divine sees people being profiled for?
2: Definitely leadership and the executive team. And um, not just profiled for hiring, although we do a lot of that, but when when you look at the leadership team and the management team, there's a lot of alignment. They want to make sure that they have, you know, you can have somebody who, who would be highly productive in one area of the company, and they're really not productive in another area of the company.
4: Mhm.
1: Uh, so the executive team is uh, important.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, how about customer service areas? How effective is the divine in picking people who are good at dealing with, say, difficult uh, callers? Yeah. <laughs>
2: um, customer service, we, we look at that in two different categories. So we have customer service, just you know, basic customer service, which would be people who are calling in and, and need something. And then we have customer service um, that has a sales spin to it because some of the customer service reps that work for companies their, you know, job is to cross-sell and upsell opportunities. And so, again, um, you know, your question is how good is the divine inventory in picking out those people? And I would say that we have a pretty rich profile. So we've customized the different um, competencies so that they fit those two different applications because they are different applications.
1: Sure. I've heard customer service uh, call centers where they have a turnover rate of over 60% per year. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think divine inventories would reduce that to?
2: Well, that's a good question. And and actually, I would think that it would be even higher than that. I've heard of call centers that are, you know, they're well over 100%. They're 125%. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I can tell you just off the top of my head because I was just looking at some metrics little while ago about nursing and um, overall the the average turnover for nursing for certified nurse professionals would be 70 to 85% that's nationally um, and nationally it costs about forty five hundred dollars to recruit and train that person so the first 60 days it's about forty forty five hundred dollars so if you're looking at a, um, uh, a company that might have a hundred nurses in their population uh, at 70% turnover, that's, you know, over $300,000. And at, at 85%, that's closer to $400,000, um, 385 plus some change to be more precise. So we have done some different, uh, you know, development work with, um, with their hiring process. And we, we did it in a couple different First, we just used um, something that was off the shelf. So here's our nurse profile, and that reduced their um, their turnover. I want to say by uh, about 15 to 20 percent. And then after working with us for about a year, where year and a half, where they could actually get the metrics that went along with, um, you know, retaining the top talent, and they could customize it. Then it went down. Um, over thirty percent. So the savings is incredible when it comes to a higher, a high population like that. When you have a hundred people,
1: and, and you're dealing in a relatively expensive position and a nurse.
2: Well, you know, forty-five hundred dollars. Although this morning I was talking to a leader that um, he had salespeople. You know, there's fifty salespeople. I mentioned them earlier in the in the um, show, and he was sharing that it costs fifteen thousand dollars to recruit them. And in the first six months, they spend another $11,000 um, to train them. So in the first six months, they're spending $26,000. 50 salespeople, his turnover is 30%.
1: Well, that's plus salaries and
2: benefits. Well, even without salary and benefit, we're at $400,000 right wow. there. And that comes right off of your profit.
1: Mm-hmm. You want to keep turnover to a minimum.
2: Yeah, and, that's, and with sales, that's not even the opportunity cost of having a vacant territory.
1: Well, in sales, the opportunity cost is the differential between what a superstar would have closed
2: mm-hmm.
1: and what the novice, wrong salesperson misses.
2: Mm-hmm. That's very true.
1: Doesn't either get in front of the prospect or fails to close them.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, in uh, in your world, do you have a uh, a long term plan for building the uh, the divine business?
2: Well, we do a lot with affiliate partners, and so and obviously that's what I enjoy working with. Not that I don't enjoy working with the end client but um it's it's really fascinating to work with somebody who has multiple clients, and then I get to work like i you know you had mentioned in the beginning um you know I'm working with folks overseas, people in Canada, people in london people in you know all over Europe. So that is our long-term strategy: is working with more and more affiliate partners. Some are um, individuals, you know, one person who has a human resources consulting firm, and then some are large organizations like Sandler, where they have multiple locations, you know, several hundred worldwide.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you see as the uh, the obstacles to using a profiling process in the recruiting
2: area? I, I would say the number one obstacle is that um, a person thinks that that whatever number that profile gives you, you know, the overall job fit score, that that's a go, no go, and it's not. It's part of a hiring process. So if somebody scores really, really high on it, that tells you that, yes, our profile is saying take them to the next step in your process. It's not saying hire them, saying take them to the next step. And the, the other part of that, um, another thing that that is done wrong with, with the assessments is that you don't set your criteria on the assessments before you see the first candidate. So, for example, when you look at the assessment, it gives you a job fit score of 0 to 99. Mm-hmm. So when our advisors are working with their clients, they have to decide what's their cutoff point before they even get the first assessment. Because if they get the first assessment in, and the first assessment score is a 59, and they really didn't want to go below 65, guess what their cut point is now? It's a 59. Mm-hmm. So they have to set their criteria. There are, for you know, when we're talking about salespeople, there are 19 competencies. You cannot expect somebody to be strong in 19 competencies.
0: No,
1: I've never seen that.
2: No. So what you do is you say, what are the top five or six competencies we have to see you know, that are 70 and above?
1: In in our company, in our industry,
2: exactly. exactly, because two
1: different heating and air conditioning companies
2: mm-hmm.
1: may have different criteria. In fact, uh, Doug Lockholler said he had commercial mm-hmm. and residential. Right. I think that would be that would be two t- different two different types of people.
2: Exactly, it would be different if you hired a person and you were putting them in a well developed territory versus. Go out there and make a name for yourself. We have one client in this hundred mile region. Sales prospecting would be very important. so you know to to answer your question, not setting the parameters before you get the first results in. You have to sit down and decide what are we going to push to the next step, and where are we going to take things and and say you know we're going to have to pass on this person because they um, they have extremely high need for approval. They don't take responsibility for their results, and we already have a whole team of that.
1: Mm-hmm. hmm um, What what do clients tell you they're looking for most from Divine's Instruments?
2: For hiring on a hiring uh, process? Hiring. Yeah. Um, they're looking for quantitative data instead of the subjective data that they get when they ask somebody a question on an interview. They they want to see when they strip away all the beauty contestant frills, what is this person made of? Because, you know, Mike, I think when somebody sits down in an interview, I really – I have i have a strong belief in people. I don't think that, that folks sit in an interview chair and come out and just tell bold-faced lies. I really believe that, for the most part, that when they're answering the, interview, the interviewer's question – that they want to be that person. Mm-hmm. So if, if you're interviewing me and you're telling me that the, it, the job requires 70% travel and I tell you that'll be no problem, I want to be that person. I really do. I'm not lying to your face. But when it comes right down to it, if I took that job and had to travel 70% of the time at, a, at some point, if I am not behaviorally disposed to be able to handle that, you had mentioned vitality. There are a few other things that we would look at. Then after a period of time, I'm going to be worn out mentally, physically, emotionally, and at some point, I'm going to quit.
1: Yeah. that uh, I, I gave you a profile to look at. And yes, In you that did. particular uh, profile, uh, travel willingness was one of this person's outstanding scores.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: He needs to be a roadie. Yes. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, Let's take uh, one more question here before we uh, we take a commercial break. Uh, what do you think uh, the, the obstacles are in a company adopting the widespread use of profiles?
2: Well, a couple of things. Um, one, typically people don't like change. And even those that like change only like it if it's their idea. So I would say the propensity for people not to adopt change. That would be one. And the second is that um, that they have to stop and learn something new. And I think when it comes to people being structured, especially, you know, we deal with a lot of salespeople. Salespeople tend to lack structure. And so to, to take a, a person who's probably climbed up through the sales ranks, who's now a sales manager, and have them have to have a structured process, that tends not to be their, their strength.
1: Okay, we're going to take a, uh, a short commercial break, and we'll be right back with, uh, with Darby from the uh, Divine Group. When you hear about a typical sales training program, does it usually involve a one- or two-day seminar where some alleged guru passes down what he claims are the secrets to making sales? At Roth & Associates, I'm the most experienced Sandler sales trainer in Cincinnati. We recognize that truisms and motivating speeches aren't enough to arm sales teams with the tools they need for success. Sales is a hard business. Typical sales training can only provide typical and disappointing results. At Roth & Associates, we use the Sandler methodology of continual reinforcement and ongoing training seminars along with individual coaching to ensure victory in the world of sales. We've been doing it here in Cincinnati for over 15 years. You won't fail because I won't let you. Roth & Associates, 513 646 Two three five one three six four six six five two three. On the web at rothconsulting.net, finding power in reinforcement. This is Mike Roth. I'm back with uh, Darby from the Divine Group. Darby, I think we forgot to do this earlier in the show. If someone has a question for you that they'd like to take offline, give them a number that they can uh, get a hold of you and uh, and the Divine Group. or well, they can contact me directly at 753-9400. But if they wanted to talk to you.
2: Yeah. Dial. Sure, sure. They can call 513-752-7500.
1: Okay. Uh we have a a, a saying over here, Darby, that uh, simple solutions to complex problems are invariably wrong. Mm-hmm. And therefore, if you're going to solve a complex problem, you need a complex solution that's up to the job. So maybe uh, from some place in your in your past, you can think of a complex problem that you solved with a complex solution that in theory uh our listeners could apply to their worlds.
2: Mhm, oh gosh well you know i'm I'm gonna tie this into the the Sandler bomb,
3: mm-hmm. you know the
2: rule number twenty three where wherever the bomb is, you want to bring that up front so I would say um back in my days where i where I sold the Sandler training and um, did the coaching and and developed some different things for our clients. Um, one of the most complex problems that we had or that I had with my clients was um, helping them understand the onboarding process. And it's different for the different types of salespeople. And, and so part of it was not only creating an onboarding process with them, but also helping a person during the interview process understand the complexities of that job. So um, what we did to to alleviate the problem of somebody starting not really knowing what they were expecting, because, you know, let's face it, it it's not just the, the, the applicant that's coming in looking like the beauty queen. It's also the company who may not be telling them, here's exactly what you're walking into. So to alleviate somebody coming aboard and, you know, after 30 days just feeling like this isn't the job I interviewed for or the hiring manager thinking, well, that's not what you, how you represented yourself, Um, what we did was we recommended that the hiring manager have the applicant put together a 90-day prospecting plan. Who are you going to call? Um, how many calls are you going to make a day, a week, a month, what, You know, however they wanted to quantify that, and how many networking things are you going to, and so that they had a plan, they being the, the interviewer, had a plan that they could go through with the applicant and see exactly what that person would do the first 90 days, and this did many things. The top two things were, number one, if that person was hired, they could hit the ground running, and the company was not paying for them to put together their plan, and number two, It it gave um, both the interviewer and the interviewee some very detailed, not theoretical, but very detailed information that they could go through and discuss so that everybody knew what was expected. Things fall apart when expectations are not met, period.
1: Mm -hmm. So remove the surprise from the first 90 days.
2: That's right. Take away that bomb.
1: Okay. That's a good answer. Uh, Thanks. (laughs) I think uh, some people might be able to use that, and uh next question might be uh you know you you in you, in your in your job at divine mm-hmm. uh you meet a lot of people and you kind of act as a leader
2: mhm
1: uh maybe you could give our listeners uh a leadership tip
2: a leadership tip well, I would say that um not just myself as a leader but what we see out there as a leader. Many times those that are working their way up through the ranks and maybe they are not wearing that leadership badge yet and they're, you know, they, they want to be in a higher position than they are right now in the company that it's important to look at the different leaders that they respect and see what it is that that leader possesses that they want to be like. Growing up, my mom used to say, "You can learn as much from someone you want to be like as you can from someone you don't want to be like, so take that into consideration too when you look at the different leaders and especially their presence, because you know believe it or not, when it comes to a lot of these leaders, ninety percent of it is presence it's how they walk into the room it's it's how they command that audience so if if you're a young leader and you want to be you know higher up in the organization. Taking into consideration or noticing the presence of the different leaders, what you will want to emulate and what you don't want to emulate.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm I'm glad you brought that point up. Uh, a couple of years ago, uh, I was at a program that was put on uh, by Mr. McDonald, the CEO of Procter and Gamble, and he did an eloquent program, a, a beautiful PowerPoint.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And. At the end, he finished a little bit early. He had time for question and answer. And one of the guys in the audience asked a question that seemed like it was out of left field. I had no idea anyone would ever think of this this question. And McDonald look at, looked up at his man who was running the PowerPoint projector, and he said, uh, take me to slide 127. <laughs> and he jumped, and he had a PowerPoint slide, And he spoke extemporaneously for about five minutes and gave the guy an answer. Now, I sat back in my chair and said, hey, that was a quirk.
3: Mm -hmm.
1: Next lady asks a question. He looks at the guy with the projector and he says, slide uh, 142. (laughs) Pow. It's on the screen. It's the answer to the lady's question. Uh He was amazing in the amount of preparation Mm -hmm. that he had done for a public talk. He obviously had produced a two-hour talk that covered everything, but his planned time was 20 minutes. So I think a great leader is prepared. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the things that I see in these profiles is the preparation to get the right people. Uh, where a uh, a single flaw might not be enough to disqualify the, the candidate, but a series uh, should.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, and depending on the leadership, something might be considered a flaw with one leader and, and not with another leader. If you have a leader that is um, very dominant, very let's get down to business, you know, this is not Mr. Rogers' neighborhood, we're not standing around singing kumbaya and, and you hire somebody into that, that team that has, and we talked about need for approval before, that has a high need for approval, needs to get strokes, needs to get some attaboys, that's not the right type of manager for that person. Mm-hmm. And so they could flourish in an environment where somebody does give the right strokes, does tell them where they're going in the right direction.
1: I mean, a few years ago there was a series of books probably more than 10 years ago now, 15 years ago, called Leadership Secrets of Attila Lahan.
4: Hmm. Uh,
1: I thought they were great books. And if you read those books uh, and you, you not know, forget about Rape and Pillage and you just say Attila Lahan as a leader, mm-hmm. which is the way the author uh, phrased it, there are a lot of Sandlerisms in that book of what a great leader uh, should be. Uh, for a company. Um in uh and let's let let's switch gears here and talk a little bit about the uh the technical side of the divine inventory. Everyone's always worried about uh, is this uh approved by the federal government uh what is that oh EEOC oh, EEOC. Mm-hmm.
2: is it EEOC compliant? Right. Yes, yes. So we have um we have a PDF. It's 149 pages of graphs, charts, statistics, correlations, all kinds of analysis, narrative that explains why, in incredible detail, we are EEOC compliant. There are no protected groups that, that will, you know, expose. Um, it is reliable. It is a valid tool. So I am happy to send that to any caller who wants it.
1: Okay. Uh, I think I had the fortune or misfortune once of having to read it.
4: Mm-hmm. Uh
1: once I was using a profile uh, that I stopped using when I discovered the the fellow who wrote it, that was a college dropout. I couldn't see how a, a college dropout could write a good file. That that didn't make sense to me.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, nor does it make sense to me that people who are inexperienced with a trade or occupation could write a good profile for that trade or occupation.
2: You do have to have some tribal knowledge to really understand and and that's why I really enjoy when a company will do a benchmark because I get to take, you know, all of the knowledge that we've had over the last forty years when it comes to that particular profile, let's say it's sales, and then hear from the company's perspective, here are the things that, you know, here are our initiatives, here are the things that, that we want to do and grow and develop. And take all of that information and wind it together with here's the data from our A-performers or our performers, high performers, and here's the data from our non-performers. So we can take all that and build a profile of this is a top-performing, fill-in-the-blank, manager, leader, janitor, salesperson for so our company.
1: I think I've seen the uh, the divine for the residential real estate industry mm-hmm. where you had a large sample of over 200 or 300 people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that you've done a... Uh, uh, a large sample for the BMW luxury car group.
2: Mm-hmm. We've also done another one for insurance. We've done some for franchising, and the process that that we use the, you know, one of the great things about it is we're able to do it even in a, with a small population. Like if you only have twelve or thirteen salespeople, and in the past you really needed to have a hundred, two hundred. So. That's been kind of nice to be able to leverage that. So if
1: you had 125 people in a call center and you had 25 of those 125 that were top performers Mm -hmm. by the metrics that we use, uh, you could create a profile so that the next people hired would be closer to the 25 that are the top producers.
2: Yes. Mm -hmm.
1: That's an important uh, characteristic to have. Are there any other industries that you've done these benchmark studies in?
2: Oh, we've done a a ton of different benchmark studies. Um, We're getting ready to do one in, um, it's a, I'm trying to think of the, I know they. sewage treatment. Um, We've done one, we've done several for the East Coast, um, for tire companies. Um, And like I said, we've done insurance. Mike, we're just all over the map. And in, in
1: the little time that we have left, I know we were talking about this earlier before the show, Darby. Uh, you have a profile process program uh, for companies so they can uh, test everybody.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, you call that a site license based on the number of hires?
2: Yes, yes, we do. So you can, uh, and again, you know, we do this director through distributors, but um, you can either pay per assessment or you can kind of do the all-you-can-eat bar, which is based on how many people you will be hiring in that year, whether it be 10, 15, 100.
1: Okay. And uh, that starts as low as how many?
2: Three. three. Start, mm-hmm. As low as three. three so hires. if
1: someone is going to be hiring as few as three new employees in the next year, uh, would gain a uh, a benefit by running this profile on 100% of the... Uh, the candidates who meet the hiring bar criteria, yes. consistent with the EEOC steps in the hiring process.
2: Mm-hmm. And if you're going to do the site license, the earlier you assess people in your process, the more it makes sense because you're not putting a bunch of human hours into qualifying them first. You're letting them qualify them first.
1: Sure. Uh, Darby, Any uh, any last thoughts or comments that you want to give our uh, listeners?
2: Uh, just, I know I've said this a few times, and that is whatever assessment you use, whether it's ours or somebody else's, that gives you that objective data, you have to make sure that it's part of a um, of a structured process, a structured hiring process, and make sure that there's some sort of accountability to that process, because if there isn't, people tend not to use it.
1: Darby, thanks again for... Uh agreeing to appear with us here on the show. And, uh, again, Scott, why don't you uh, take it away?
0: Thanks for listening. If you have questions or comments, contact Mike at MikeRoth at RothConsulting.net or call Mike at 513-753-9400.